You want to know how Kafka Connect distributes tasks to workers? You ever thought Connect rebalances could be improved? Well, we'll find out how these things work in today's episode of Streaming Audio, a podcast about Kafka, Confluent, and the cloud. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tim Berglund. In this episode of Ask Confluent, my co-host Gwen Shapira speaks with Confluent engineer Constantine Karantasis about the latest improvements to Kafka Connect and how to run the Confluent CLI on Windows. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Ask Confluent, where we answer questions from the internet. I'm your host, Gwen Shapira, and this is Ask Confluent episode number 10. So, yay for 10th anniversary! And with me today, special guest, Constantine. So Constantine and I have been working together for like ages. And he's an engineer on the Connect team. And he first joined the team to work on the S3 connector, which immediately became this huge success. And then he wrote the Confluent CLI, which immediately went on to become a huge success. And then you wrote, I think, the MQTT connector which is proxy, on the yes. proxy, right? Which is on the way to become a huge success. And now he's working on really deep future improvements to the Connect framework that we're going to chat about. So it's really an honor to have you here on the show. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Great to be here, Gwen. I uh, really <laughs> like to be on your show and uh, discuss uh, interesting questions from the internet. Yeah. <laughs> And our users, of course. Yes, and this will be a busy episode. We have quite a big uh, question backlog. So let's get to it. Okay, so first question was a response. A few episodes back, I had Matthias from the Streams team here on the podcast. And he uh, discussed how Streams rebalancing work and how failover work and what happens if I have a Streams job and I make a change, I add something, I remove something. And Renato Mendes Figueredo, Renato Mendes Figueredo said that this is good information. I wonder if the whole rebalance strategy from K-Streams also applies to Kafka Connect. I've been experiencing long delays after deploying a new version of our containers, which causes them to be recycled. Thanks. So is the whole rebalance strategy in Streams the same in Connect? That's that's a very interesting question. And yeah, they're very related. Well, um, uh, we I would say we see the problem from a different uh, perspective, a different angle. And uh, I believe we will arrive at a common solution uh, very soon, combining uh, different approaches. So uh, what what has been going on in uh, Kafka Consumer and the streams is that um, there uh, uh, we wanted to avoid um, rebalancing in most cases. It's uh, it's expensive. You have to restore uh, state. So in Connect, we thought of uh, seeing uh, the problem differently a little bit. And what we are trying to do is make rebalancing itself much more lightweight and uh, less disruptive for the the group. So basically in Connect, you don't, like every worker doesn't have that much state, right? We just read and write from Kafka. There's some configuration, but not that much state. Yeah, exactly. So Uh, what do rebalances really do in that case? Oh, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, So as you said, uh, Connect workers are uh, locally stateless in a sense. The only state they save is either in Kafka and the third-party systems, of course. Uh, So uh, we are in a good uh, situation there. What happens is that um, rebalancing is useful for Connect because what you uh, distribute and exchange 
is the number of tasks and connectors that will run in the connect cluster. So basically when he recycles his containers, he stops the container and immediately the connectors that are running in that container shift over to another container, which causes a rebalance, which right now is pretty disruptive from what I understand. Yeah, and, and the reason that is disruptive right now is that we followed a, a simple strategy where it says that uh, when you join, when a new worker joins, or even when a new connector starts, all the other members of the group uh, release the resources, which for connect, it means that you stop the connectors and the tasks, and you join uh, the group uh, with a fresh start, making a fresh start. Uh, so by doing so, you uh, ha you have to stop <laughs> the tasks and the connectors. So that's where we want to focus uh, with this improvement. So we're talking about KEEP 415 that I think you created a few weeks back. It's still an ongoing discussion in the community. And this KEEP basically suggests a whole new strategy for rebalances in Connect. Yeah, exactly. It's an improvement. Uh, we are we are still uh, uh, polishing the details. We are still discussing it, but uh, we have we have a, a good plan. Uh, implementation has already started. We try to address the stop the world effect. Yes. Right now, the workers won't give up uh, the connectors that they don't have to stop, and uh, either they will start only the new tasks or they will release only the connectors that need to be reassigned so to different So to clarify, bodies. right now is an engineering right now, which is after the keep will be approved and my patches will be merged and a release will happen. So it's not a real right now. It's a right now for like three months from now, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't <laughs> guess exactly the time. Uh, uh, it would be uh, tricky to do that, but yes. uh, it's it's in advanced development. So uh, we have that uh, actively working and uh, yeah, we're confident Fantastic. we'll have it soon. I, yeah, I really like the thought about it is that we're kind of, I, I love the name cooperative rebalancing. It just, it sounds more friendly and you really don't ask every, each worker to do more than he absolutely have to. So yeah. it's a kind of a more gentle method for uh, balancing work. I really like that. I think I think it's a neat yes. idea. Yeah, I, I think the idea is neat, and it's interesting to see the discussion in the community as well. Like people ask very deep questions, and it's. Uh, I personally learn a lot about different ways people approach their distributed systems by just reading how how they what what they ask when they read one of those proposals. Yeah, classic, classic uh, distributed system <laughs> problem. Yeah, it's yes. exciting. Okay, on to the next one. The next uh, comment is actually a compliment. So a while back, Peter and I here recorded a short uh, presentation about Kafka and the service mesh, which is kind of just me exploring some ideas and it was pretty new stuff at the time and kind of like how do I approach the service mesh and how it's related to the work we're doing here. And Rob Gruhl said that this is a brilliant talk and I'm ahead of the curve, which is amazing to me because maybe you don't know who Rob Gruhl is, but he's managing uh, innovative infrastructure at um, Nordstorm. And he published um, GitHub uh, repository and a bunch of presentations and blogs about the future of retail architecture. And it has amazing ideas about cloud and serverless and service meshes and events driven and Kafka. And it's all really, really advanced, really, really smart. I really love Rob Gould's work and I'm still planning to 
fly over to Seattle to meet him in person. So I'm a huge fangirl and getting a compliment for him is just a huge moment for me and I'm super happy. So thank you, you made my day. Next question is a response to our intro to streams uh, video. And Jeff G says, so streams API is only for Java clients. How about .NET, Rust, Python, all those popular languages? What about them? And I think right now our answer is, you know, KSQL works in with any client in any language. And it is stream processing API and SQL is a fairly popular language. So I think that's yeah. the main way to go about it. Or you can write your own. <laughs> it's that all open be, source. That would be welcome too, yeah, <laughs> yes. of course. I want to do streams APIs in Rust. That would be a good excuse to go. Uh, I know that we, a bunch of us are planning to be in a Rust conference uh, in Portland. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, maybe that, that will be our excuse to go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next question. Actually, a comment. Maybe a compliment. It's very, very hard to tell. Our ever-popular video, KSQL Introduction, Level Up Your KSQL, that... Tim did, I don't know how long ago, I think it's one of our bestsellers. There is not a single episode where I don't get some kind of comment or question about that specific video. And SD said, Gavin Belson left Huli and now works at Confluent. And everyone in our team responded by thinking it's a super funny comment and it's hilarious. And I don't know what they meant, but I heard that maybe you know what they meant. You're lucky, Gwen, because <laughs> I'm a fan of the show and uh, I watched it. So, um, yeah, I, I might be able to, to take a guess here what, what uh, they mean. Uh, so that's, it's from the Silicon Valley show, right? Yeah, it's yeah. exactly. It's from that show. And uh, Gavin Belson is uh, this uh, archetypal uh, bad guy <gasps> in the show. Yeah, he goes after uh, small startups. He's uh, leading a big corporation that we, is we not innovating. Do we don't do so. Yeah, no, That's we are us. definitely, exactly. <laughs> he would chase us uh, in that sense. Um, so replicating their technology, trying to acquire them. So, yeah, but he wasn't always like that. Oh. Yeah. Um, he, at the very beginning, the early days, he was an innovator himself. Uh, he created a, a new technology that led to uh, this uh, success with Huli. So uh, what I understand here, and maybe our, our users uh, uh, had in mind, is that he returns from Tibet and he feels nostalgic about these early days where uh, he, he was working in something new and up and coming. And ah. uh, yeah, I feel that this comment means so that... So maybe he joined Confluent to work on the next big thing. Exactly. Like we all did. He feels <laughs> like he has to leave the dark side and uh, join, uh, yeah, something But we'd never something really new. accept him because we don't accept evil people. We have a high we, bar. We have yeah. Confluent values. <laughs> Our engineers have to be nice and humble and respectful. We don't do that. that so yeah, sorry, Gavin Belsom, you are not accepted at Confluent. He was rejected, yeah. <laughs> yes. Next question. A while back, we had a screencast about introducing the Confluent CLI, which you happened to write. And Jawad Khan had a question. How can I use the CLI on Windows? 
Uh, so yeah. you did the unimaginable. You went places where no engineer in Confluent went before. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting to do. Uh, well, I also uh, follow your show here, and uh, I know that this question has come up before. So I went ahead. I provisioned a Windows VM on AWS with uh, Windows Server 2019. Uh, and, uh, yeah, followed, followed the steps to install... Um, Uh, Windows subsystem uh, for Linux. Uh, that's the first step if you want to uh, have uh, a command line shell uh, like bus uh, at your availability. So that's what you need, the first step. And then you have to install Java and the Confluent platform, of course. Uh, once you do that, you are able to uh, run Confluent CLI and start uh, the Confluent uh, services and on Windows. And we have proof right here yeah, uh, that it actually works. And we have Zookeeper starting and Kafka starting. And I see you didn't push your luck, so we don't see Connect here, but we can try. Yeah, I, I wanted <laughs> to leave something for our users to explore and uh, discover by themselves. So, nice yeah. one. Yes. And uh, amazingly, it seems to be working so thank you so much for resolving this mystery for us yeah. and I have to say that with the subsystem installed it looks almost like a normal operating system almost not quite okay next question I have from Sachin Delkar who we already I think responded to one of his questions on the podcast so it's a repeat uh, visitor and he said question for the podcast Can you provide us with few popular use cases for headers in Kafka and what it should and what it shouldn't be used for? And I feel like this question comes up once every few episodes. It seems like people keep looking for header use cases. And I heard you had a few. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have, I have a few from uh, some products that we've developed and uh, of course our users uh, use them and uh, they found them useful. So uh, two use cases that come uh, to mind is uh, uh, how we use headers in MQTT proxy. Uh, basically, it uh, worked well for us because we isolated uh, the payload at the Kafka record value, uh, the MQTT topic uh, at the, uh, as a key, and then Uh, metadata such as the quality of service uh, level, we put them in headers. And that's the, the protocol where uh, that is being used by devices oh. like uh, a car, a scooter that you can rent or uh, a thermostat at your home uh, in order to publish data so in Kafka. So you use headers to basically match what a different protocol would do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, embed all the metadata of the protocol in headers. Uh, it was better encapsulation of the data. We yeah, would say. I love that. It, and that's kind of a very architecture-driven approach. You mm -hmm. find good encapsulation and what really belongs in what portion of your payload. Yeah, definitely. We wouldn't like our users to, to have to unpack Uh, the value from uh, the record uh, value and then do some deserialization in order to discover again the for instance the quality of service uh, level so that that uh, worked out really well for for us with headers and um, another example that comes to mind is um, uh, with uh, confluent replicator actually uh, we use headers there uh, in order to uh, encode the origin of a specific record and basically do what is uh, a classic a classic application of headers uh, do routing of records so based on the origin uh, a record might be uh, replicated uh, in a data center or not so we avoid uh, having cycles uh, infinite cycles of replication between uh, 
data centers. And uh, that's how, yeah, that's how we use headers in Replicator. Yeah, and I think there's a general pattern here is where you have metadata and you don't want the, you have some consumers who only need the metadata. So for example, the Replicator, it doesn't care about the data itself. It just copies the data from place to place. And the data can be in Avro or JSON or Swift or a format that I invented myself that is hyper-optimized. But the Replicator doesn't need to care. But there is bits of metadata that the Replicator needs to care about. And you put this metadata in the header so the Replicator will be able to access this metadata without having to know anything about the data format that uh, I'm using in my messages versus the ones that you're using in your messages and the replicator has to deal with all of them. And I think that's like the generic patterns that I've been seeing for headers all the time. Metadata that has to be used by consumers that don't always understand all the different serialization formats in the company. So it's things like um, timing information, uh, lineage information, you, if you have an audit process that tracks lineage information, it will have to deal with every data format in your company. It, it, you cannot put the information in the payload. You have to put it in the header. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, another great example that uh, it's not the first to come in mind when you build a system, but definitely it, it's it, very useful. You yeah. know, it's not the first for you, but <laughs> if you worked in a bank, what the auditor would do would be your top of the mind. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Okay, and another question. That's a new one arriving yesterday on Twitter, but I had to include it because it's uh, really good in two different ways. First of all, the person asking the question is Mark Papadakis, who A, happened to be a Greek national. Yeah, and, and you pronounce <laughs> his name uh, really well. I managed yeah. to do it? Oh yeah. my God, yay. And he's also a good friend of mine, and he's CTO of some kind of network uh, company. And he's writing a Kafka clone in oh, C++. It's called Tank. So he's like a pretty big distributed systems expert. And uh, at some point, he ran into a fairly complex scenario. We have a producer doing this, a producer doing that. The, we have five replicas. One of, one of the topics has MinISR. Or, sorry, yeah, I think they have different MinISRs. And then some replicas are online, some replicas are offline. It was a pretty intense scenario. And then he asked, okay, what will happen in that scenario? Good <laughs> and question. it took me a while to figure out. And I uh, responded with a big story. And then, you know, if something is offline, then what happens if it comes back online and the timing of the thing? So it was a really interesting question to think about. Also, the first time that I got a question via GIST, we already oh. had questions uh, via... Let's see, Stack Overflow, uh, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Slack. Uh, so, but GIST for, by GitHub is a new one, but I thought it's pretty good. It was a big story, so I think it it's was... It's always nice fair. to have uh, some code uh, <laughs> along with your questions, right? There, yeah. was, there was no code there. Okay, it just was, GIST, It was, just, it was uh, a yeah. scenario. It was an abstract scenario. Uh, but it was a pretty... Inter it's always like... It's funny how when you are trying to learn about the distributed system, you keep coming up with those scenarios and trying to reason over what would happen in if the, if the, we have this network partition and then it heals and then we have another network partition. You know, you come up with these things. But after you really understand the protocol, 
it's fairly easy to think through and answer all of them. That's how you kind of know that you understand. So I really enjoy thinking through those types of scenarios. That's, I guess, my way of geeking out. Yeah, it's super interesting. So, yeah, I invite everyone to invent their, o- their own horrible scenarios <laughs> and we'll try to figure out what would Kafka do. <laughs> okay, and last, we'll finish with another compliment. Com- comment for my uh, last Ask Confluent, uh, Free Music 54, which almost feels like someone has a sock puppet of some sort. Uh, they said, nice video. You can learn so much from those videos. Amazing. And yes, you can learn a lot from those videos. And if you want to keep learning, you can subscribe to our channel and keep learning a lot from all our videos. Uh, we try to make them fun and educational. So that was a lot of fun. Thanks it for was. joining us, uh, Constantine. Great, great pleasure. Yeah, nice to be here. And uh, good luck with the rest of it. I, I bet there's going to be many more episodes. Yes, and really nice. great questions from the community as usual. I learned a ton and thanks for Keep415. Uh, I hope it will get voted in soon. Yeah, we're getting there. Thank you. And there you have it. I hope that was helpful to you. If you've got questions, you can ask me at at TL Berglund on Twitter. That's T-L-B-E-R-G-L-U-N-D. Or you can ask Gwen at at Gwen Schapp. That's G-W-E-N-S-H-A-P. Or you can leave a comment on any of our YouTube videos. Your question might be featured on the next episode of Streaming Audio. And feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel and this podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. And if you subscribe through iTunes, be sure to leave us a review there. That helps other people discover the podcast and just generally helps us get the word out. We appreciate your support. See you next time. <laughs>